0: Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church weekly sermons. The following podcast is from the Sword of the Spirit Bible Conference. This is the evening service of Sunday the 14th of February 2010, entitled The Promise of God, and the Bible reading is taken from Romans chapter 8. Here's Brother Brian Beaver. Well, I want you to take your Bible and turn very quick. We don't have a lot of time because I want to give you just a few points and then we'll go to the house, all right? Romans chapter number 8. I know pastor will love that. Romans chapter number 8. Praise God. I don't have to get do much. I, he just amen on general principles sometimes, but I know when I say Romans, he amens. <laughs> Paul told Timothy, he said, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child... Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, complete, mature, truly furnished unto all good works. Do you understand with me tonight that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God? We hold tonight not only the inspired Word of God, but the preserved Word of God He said, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. And ladies and gentlemen, though we have all the Bible, I know that there are mountaintops in Scripture. And I'm going to talk to you tonight about one of those mountaintops in Scripture. I know all the Bible is not written to us, but thank God it is all for us. But ladies and gentlemen, we're going to look at a verse of Scripture tonight that all of us know by memory. And I've said it many times, we might know the fact of it, but we know the force of it. And I want to ask you tonight, if you'll just think with me to, for just a few moments, as you've got your uh, place in Romans chapter 8, I want you to look at verse 28. But while you're holding your finger there, I want you to look back over at verse number 1. Our text will be tw- verse 28, but I want to give you a few thoughts to, to build up to verse number 28. I think sometimes we read a verse and we forget what's before it and what's after it. And the Scripture has to be read contextual. It has to be read the way God had it inspired, written down and penned by holy men of old. And I pray that tonight that you'll understand how pertinent this verse is, though simple, yet very profound, is for us. I want you to look at verse number 1. Paul told the church in Rome, he told the Roman Christians, he said, there is therefore now no condemnation. Now, folks, you know what? Have you ever tried to explain to somebody something that was so difficult, but yet in our, in our mind, it's very simple to understand what God did to us when we were born again. But to try to explain to them that there is therefore now no condemnation of them that are in Christ Jesus. Listen, folks, we sang a song about being enslaved and enchained and shackled and, and, and the The God of heaven sent His only Son to come and take the keys of hell and of death and to unlock the shackles and to make us free. Folks, listen, if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. And He says, there there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh. I'm glad He didn't leave that out. I'm glad He said that. Because we have, a, we have a theology, folks, that's permeating our circles. That is easy believism. And I'm not going to call it greasy grace, but there's part of it that people say, you just go ahead and get saved and you can do whatever you want. What? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid, he says. Folks, I want to tell you something. I know it and you know it as a child of God that when you got saved through the blood of Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. The old accuser of the brethren, Shelley, can't come to you when you're sitting with those kids and say, you know you really don't love them. You know you didn't mean what you prayed to You know what? When the accuser, the brethren, comes to us, we can go to God because He's up there in heaven listening to our prayers. It says, If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. And we know that the God of heaven hears our prayer. If we're right with Him, He'll say, You know what He'll say to the devil? He'll say, Devil, you can't speak to me in His behalf because there's nothing laid to His charge because it went all on my son at Calvary. There's therefore now no condemnation. The believer's salvation. But it don't stop there, folks. The believer has a lot in this chapter that can be thankful for. I want you to look at verse number 2. Not only the believer's salvation, but the believer's sanctification. Look at verse number 2. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. I want you to look at verse number 3. I like this. This is right here, boy. You can just shell the corn down. He says, for what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in not anybody else but in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Folks, can I tell you today that I stand before you redeemed, saved, sealed, sanctified, hopefully not petrified, but I stand before you righteous in the sight of God. Do you understand that tonight? That if you're a child of God, sister, if you love Jesus Christ and you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, dad, if you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, God in heaven looks down at you and I don't know how He does it, but He looks at us, Steve, and says, righteous. Righteous. You want to know why He does that, Carl? Because he looks at looks at us through the blood of his son. And folks, tonight you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you realize tonight you're saved? But thank God it don't stop there, Chris. God just didn't save us to give us fire insurance out of hell and to give us a little bit a little bit of card that says, uh, "Do not go to hell." Pass. Uh, You collect. Don't collect two hundred dollars. Whatever. He saved us not to just sit around in a pew for the rest of our life. He saved us to serve. And when He saved us, He sanctified us. You say, preacher, what do you mean? He sanctified us positionally. We're seated in heavenly places in Christ. I have been saved positionally. I'm being sanctified positionally. But folks, I'm not only sanctified positionally, I'm being sanctified progressively. That means every single day, God's renewing something in me if I walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. But ultimately, I will be sanctified. The writer says, look up for your redemption draweth. Now, what do you mean by that? Your redemption draw. I thought I was already saved. Well, he ain't talking about the salvation of your soul. He's talking about the salvation of your body. One of these days, folks, we're going to be with Him, glorified state. We're going to be just like our Savior, and we shall not know what it shall be, but when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Some of y'all need to get excited about that. You're going to spend forever with Jesus. So the believer's been saved, he's being sanctified, but I want you to look at verse number 5. We see the believer's salvation, number two, the believer's sanctification, but number three, I want you to see the believer's situation. There's something going on here. I not you to look at verse number five. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. And they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity. It's, it's literally putting up a wall against you and God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh, read the last three words with me, cannot please God. Didn't say you wasn't saved. It says, But if you walk in the flesh, there's no way, I want to hear, I want you to hear me from here in the back row, there's no way you can please God. See, what we've done, Brother Panos, is we have left the Spirit-filled life out of this thing about being a Christian. You don't believe me? People get up on Sunday morning, they go, well, got to go to church this morning, better get in the Spirit. Well, got to preach a message this morning, I better get in the Spirit. No, you better be in the Spirit tomorrow morning on the job. You better be in the Spirit next Monday when you go back to school. Gone are the days that we think that we can sit around in church and do this mechanical robot Christianity in the flesh. God is not pleased with that. We've got to be led by the Spirit of God. Listen, folks, we see the believer's salvation, the believer's sanctification, but the believer's situation. It's like the old missionary who was on the field said one of his converts came to him and he said, Preacher, he said, there's something bad going on inside me. He said, what is it? He said, it's like two dogs fighting. A good dog and a bad dog. And he said, they're just fighting and they fighting and they fighting." And the missionary said, well, which one's winning? And he said, the one I'm feeding the most. I want to ask you something. What you feeding the most? If you deny the flesh, the spirit will grow. You feed the spirit, the flesh will be denied. Folks, I'm not talking about legalism. I'm not talking about Phariseeism. I'm talking about how much do you want to please God? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. We sing them little songs at holiday Bible clubs. And you know what? They're appropriate for us at 43 years of age. Be careful where you go. Feet don't leave me somewhere I ought not go. Lord, help me not to look with something in my eyes I shouldn't be looking at. Now, you may not like that and some of you look like you ain't, but it's going to be good for you. We gotta be careful, folks. We have a situation that we're dealing with, and the problem is that the old, listen, when you got saved, that old flesh didn't get eradicated. You're still gonna have to battle it every single day. Paul said those things which I wanted to do, I ended up not doing. Those things that I didn't want to do, I ended up doing. He said, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And then he said this, I thank God through Jesus Christ. You want victory and liberty? You get through, you get it through Jesus Christ. That's who you get it through. Believer's salvation, believer's sanctification, believer's situation. But I want you to look at number four. Not only is salvation and sanctification in our situation, but I want you to look at the, at the believer's sonship. I want you to look over at verse number 14. The believer's sonship, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to Fear. We know the Bible tells us God has not given us a spirit of fear but a power and of love and a sound mind. Some of y'all walking around scared to death of everything. Scared of what somebody thinks. Well, what will they think if I wear that? Don't, don't, me, don't, me, don't make me scratch where you itch. Well, I wonder what they think if I did this. Just scared to death that you're going to offend somebody. When's the last time you... Worried about offending God. For we have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. We say, Daddy. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the what? Children of God. You know, folks, if every Fortune 500 company in the world wanted you to be their senior executive officer, if every football team in the European League wanted you to be their striker, that would be an amazing thing, wouldn't it? But can I tell you something? There is nothing that compares to the fact that we are called the children of God. Do you realize, folks, I'm a child of a king? You mean this old country bald headed fella is royalty? Yes. I'm a child of the king. A child of the King with Jesus, my Savior. I'm a child of the King. And all God's people said, weren't oh, you glad of that? Our sonship. And folks, you know what? We were adopted into the family of God. I don't have time to go into that doctrine, but that is a special thing to be adopted into the family. Not only the believer's salvation is sanctification, his situation is sonship, but I want you to look at the believer's suffering. Look at verse number 18. For I reckon... You know what? I know Paul was a southern boy. He said, I reckon... We say that a lot in the south in America. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know what, folks? I Three and a half years ago had to give words at a young lady's funeral who was 14 and a half years of age named Sarah Hines. Sarah Hines, Brother Malcolm, had an inoperable brain tumor at the brain stem. If they removed it, Steve, she would have perished immediately. She lived almost a year and a half after they detected it. But I can remember watching her go through that. And Carl watched her give glory to God through her suffering. Can I say this, folks? And I'm not trying to be unkind, but suffering from God is a gift. Philippians 1.29 says, For it is given on the behalf of you, not to only believe on Jesus, but to suffer for His sake. Do you know what? Suffering is a gift just like salvation is. And some of you in here don't want to have to go through any suffering. If you're going to be like your Savior, you're going to have to be acquainted with the fellowship of His suffering. I know some of you in here know what I'm talking about. Sarah Hines was 14 and a half years of age. And I don't know anybody save maybe Pastor Phil Valls that was prepared more for heaven than she was. At 14 and a half. You say, why would God let that happen? I'm getting there. You got to believe her salvation. You got to believe her sanctification. You got to believe her situation, the believer's sonship, the believer's suffering. You know what this young lady did? And I know I probably made this illustration before, but it bears repeating. This young lady at the end of her life made such an impact on people. She worked at a local uh, uh, restaurant where they made homemade lemonade. Took fresh squeezed lemons and made lemonade. Homemade, every glass was homemade. And do you know what she did? At the end of her life, she went to her friends and said, I want you to give, I want you... To be a blessing to me, and I want you to do this when I die. I, this is my request. I want you to bring fresh squeezed lemonade to my funeral and serve a glass of fresh squeezed lemonade to every person at my funeral. You say, Why would she do that? Because she wanted the world to know that when, listen, when you're dealt lemons, you make lemonade. When you're dealt lemons, you just make lemonade. You don't get mad. You don't say, well, God, you dealt me a wrong hand and I'm mad about it. No, we know that all things work together for good to them that, huh? To them that love God. Now, don't let me get ahead my of myself because I got to hurry. I only got about six minutes left. I can get this in, I promise. We've looked at the, listen, the believer's suffering, but I want you to look at something else. The believer's supplication. Turn over just a few verses and look at verse number 26. Very quickly, please. Likewise, the Spirit also, it's, also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we ought to pray as we should, or as we ought, but the Spirit itself or Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because He maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Now look up at me. We see the believer's supplication. How many times, Steve, have you been down when you were in Blackpool or sometimes on the street and you've been talking to somebody and you didn't know what to say because I'm telling you, everything you told them, they were kicking against it and they didn't want to hear it and it was opposition. You know what? Sometimes you don't even know how to pray. So you know what? When that happens, the Spirit of God kicks in and prays for you and makes groanings which cannot be uttered. When you don't know how to pray, can I tell you something? The Spirit of God knows how to pray for you. I had a lady one time come to me, Carl, and she said, I want you to pray for my husband. I'm so broken, he's lost. I'm saved. And if we both died, I'd go to heaven and he'd go to hell. And I can't stand the thought of us being separated forever. Man, I got down and I prayed with her. She didn't say one word, Chris. All she did was weep. It was like the whole floor on the front of the altar was full of tears. We got up from there. About three nights later, her husband followed her in the service. Malcolm, I wish you could have seen her. She was smiling. You couldn't see nothing but her teeth and her glasses. I'm telling you, it was just nothing but a smile. She walked in the door, and I knew why she was smiling, because that was her husband she was praying for. When I gave the invitation long and short of it, he ran down the aisle. He didn't walk. He ran, Tim, down the aisle, thought he was going to tackle me. He ran down the aisle. I said, whoa, 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 whoa. What do you need? I always ask people when they come to the altar, what's your need? What do you come for? He said, I need to be saved right now. I need to be saved right now. I said, well, man, you come to the right place. We got down. Brother Russ, we got down. We started praying. While we're praying, let me tell you something, folks. I began to hear sniffling and crying right beside of him. I didn't see anybody come up with him. But while we were praying, I looked over, Panos. And there was his precious little wife, just a weeping. I mean, just crying. And you didn't understand one word she said. But I knew what it meant when it says, the Holy Spirit makes groanings for us which cannot be uttered. I'm here to tell you, when you don't know what to pray or what to say, Almighty God kicks in and says, I'll take over. Man, when that boy got saved, and listen, folks, when he got up from there, Steve, he looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, God just did it. I said, what'd he do? He said he saved me. Son, when he said he saved me, his little wife, five foot three, hundred and ten pounds, soaking wet, went crazy. She's jumping up and down. She grabs him. She's picking him up and jumping up and down with him. I said, glory to God. She took a lap, son, and started running around the church. And I'm going to tell you something. That might not happen here because that ain't your personality, but it don't unnerve me when people do that. She started running around the church, and the whole time she was doing this, she was saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. She got back down here and she said, God, save my husband. And I said, glory to God. She took another lap. She started running again. Let me tell you what happened. Steve, I got to end that service and I said, Steve, his name was Steve Sloop. His wife's name was Ann. I said, Steve, you said something tonight that I never heard before in my life. When you came down here, I asked you what your need was. And he said, I had to get saved. I've never heard anybody say I had to get saved right now. Why'd you say that? He said, because I had to. I said, why? He said, I couldn't take it anymore. He said, you don't understand the last three weeks of my life. It's been living hell at my house. He said, I'd get down to sit down at the dinner table. She'd have a nice dinner spread out for me. She'd be over there and she'd be praying or something. I couldn't understand a word she say, she saying. And I'd say, what's your problem, honey? And she'd say, you're, my problem is that I want you to be saved, and you're not, you're lost, and I want you to be saved. He said, it would make me so mad, I'd get up pastor, I'd slam a chair under the table, I'd leave. And he said, I'd had about all I could take, but he said, last night was the final straw. He said, last night I got up in the middle of the night, 2.30, he said, my bed was shaking. Just shaking across the floor, <laughs> like it is. I mean, we're living in North Carolina. ain't many earthquakes in North Carolina. But the bed's shaking all over the room. He looks up. There's a little light shining in the window from the street. Richard Russ, he, he said he looked around. He couldn't see his wife in the bed. And he said, where's she at? And he looked over, Chris, and he saw his wife. She was at the end of the bed. She was on the bed. She was at the end of the bed. She had the mattress and the covers all like this. And she was shaking the whole bed saying, oh, God save my husband. Oh, God, save my husband. And you know what? He said, I had to get saved tonight. I couldn't take it no more. You know what I'm thankful for? Chris, when I don't know what to pray or how to pray, I'm thankful, Pastor Larry, that the Spirit can make groanings for me, which I, I don't even understand what it's saying. But I don't have to. The believer's supplication but very quickly, I want you to look at verse number 28. You say, Preacher, that's a long introduction. Well, that's a very short sermon, I promise you. Look at verse number 28. It says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Can I give you just a couple things real quick? Number one, I want you to see the subjects of this promise. We've seen the believer's salvation. We've seen the believer's sanctification. We've seen the believer's situation, the believer's sonship, the believer's suffering, the believer's supplication. But can I talk about the believer's surety? Another word for surety is a promise. We've got a promise, brother. And we know that all things. Work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. Can I give you, number one, the subjects of the promise? Who are the subjects? Well, in context, he says, We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the, what? Called. Can I say this from here to the back row? And I'm not trying to be unkind, but it does not say the elect. It says the called. Folks, have you ever? I, I know y'all heard about Australia. You know, in Australia, they've got a statement they say, She'd be right, mate. You ever heard them say, She'd be right. No worries. She'd be right. You know what that means, Alan? It means that they say, Everything's going to be okay. Just don't worry about it. She'd be right, mate. No worries. Well, you know what my Bible teaches me? that everything don't work together good all the time. Everything ain't going to be alright all the time. So then what do we know that the Scripture tells us about this verse? Folks, the promise, the subjects of the promise are the called. Can I say it a different way? The saved. The saved. You know there's three types of people that's sitting in this room tonight. Three. Three. There's those that love God, those that don't love God, and those that don't, we- don't know whether they love God or not. Let me say it again. Three types of people in this room tonight. Those that love God, those that don't love God, or those who don't know whether they love God or not. Now, you've got to answer the question which category you fall into. You say, well, oh, preacher, I love God. Well, how do you know you love God? Man, I was listening to that song the other night on the radio, and I'm telling you I got goosebumps so big you could drive a Jeep over them, and I'm telling you I just know I love God because I got the goosebumps, and I got that feeling I just want to dance a jig. Does that mean you love God? Really? I want to to give you a few verses. John chapter 14 verse 15 says this. Jesus said it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, he wouldn't say and keep the Mosaic law in order to love me. He said, if you love me, you'll do what I tell you to do. Hello? Luke chapter 6, verse 46 says, Why call ye me Lord, Lord? Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Jehovah. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, Jesus said, and don't do the things that I say? First John chapter 5 verse 3 This is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous How many people have I heard pastors say I love God but then I got saved and then God called them to get baptized and they say well I just can't do that Well you know what how much do you really love God if you ain't going to obey what he said to do Well I love God I got saved But then God wants me to read my Bible every day and pray. And you know, I just don't know if I can do all that. Well, how much do you love God? If you love me, Jesus said, then you'll do what I tell you to do. How many people have you heard Pastor Larry say, well, you know what? I thought love was an emotion. Well, can I just, can y'all just hold on for just a minute? Can we just bring emotion into it then? If you want to say love is just an emotion. What happens, girls, when you... Disobey what your mom says. You feel how? You better say bad. You feel bad. How many times when you did something that your parents told you not to do and you're convicted about it that you feel what? Bad. But when you do something your parents wanted you to do and told you to do and you do it, you feel good. Well, Jesus said, if you love me, then do what I tell you to do. Just do what I tell you to do. There is a part of the emotion, you know, and, and you know what that feeling is? That feeling is called your conscience. Paul told the kangaroo court that day, he said, Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward man. And, folks, your conscience. A little boy was asked one day what the conscience was. His teacher said, does anybody here know what the conscience is? He raised his hand. The teacher said, yes, son, what's it mean? He said, it's what inside me feel bad when everything on the outside feel good. That's what the conscience is. The conscience is that alarm system. that tells you, you ought not do that. It's linked to the Spirit of God. So you say, preacher, what's your point tonight? Number one, the subject's of the promise are those that love God. Those who are the believers. Those who are saved. Saved. That's the subjects. But I want you to look, number two, at the surety of the promise. You say, preacher, what's that mean? I want you to look at it in verse number 28. It says, and we, what? And we, what? Greek word, which means to see, to understand, to have knowledge, to be sure of. Now, let me say this before I get done. A lot of times we use words unbiblically. Now look at me. All of you look at me. Don't look down. Don't look at your Bible. Look at me. We use words unbiblically. Let me give you an example. A lot of times for the word assurance or surety, we use the word hope. There's a big difference between hope and no. By the way, we use the word hope in light of of temporal things. But we use the word no in light of eternal things. Let me give you an example. I hope tomorrow is a great day for everybody. I hope. Probably might not happen 100%. But I hope all of you have a good day tomorrow. I hope that you get the job that will help you pay the bills on time. I mean, Steve, I hope tomorrow it's 30 degrees Celsius. ain't going to happen, but I hope it will be there. Temporal. That's a temporal thing. But let me tell you, we use no... K-N-O-W, in light of eternal things. For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that He shall stand in that latter day upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. For I know whom I believed, and am persuaded that He is able to keep that which I have committed unto Him against that day. For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. We have a surety. We know that all things work together for good. What if I went over, Shelley, to this piano, and not everybody in here is a musician like yourself? Some are. I'm really not that. I'm not as musically inclined as you are. But you don't have to be musically inclined to go over to the piano, hit a key, and if it's not on tune, you don't been had to take music for eight years to realize that that key is not really in tune, do you? You know what this whole verse is trying to get us to understand? We need to be in tune with God, because you know what happens when one of those keys is out of tune. It's kind of sideways with the rest of the keys. It don't make it don't feel in good. And you know what? When you're not in tune with everybody else, you're gonna be sideways with everybody. Now I know you ain't much liking that either, but it's what you need. Not only do we see the Listen, the subjects of the promise and the surety of the promise. But number three, I want you to see the scope of the promise. Look at verse number 28 again, and I'll be done. The scope of the promise. And we know that, read that next little three letter word with me. We know that all things, the scope of the promise. You say, Preacher, what do you mean? Folks, everything in the life of a believer, everything works together for good. That means the great things. It means maybe not so much the great things, and it means the really bad things work together for good. You say, well, preach how I don't understand it all. You ain't supposed to. You ain't going to understand it all. You just have to believe Him. We know that all things work together for good of them and love God. You may not understand it all till you get the glory. I don't understand. The man who followed me, Panos, in the ministry as a pastor at my first church, three years prior to him coming to the church that I pastored and taken over, he was at another church in Indiana. He and his wife drove up to the under uh, the the drive under at the church where they let people off when it's raining. It was raining terribly that day. Chris had five children. All five got out. The little sister was seven. She's holding her little brother's hand. Three. His name was Matthew. Holding three year old's hand. Got inside. The mother. Pastor went in. The mother was looking under the seat for an umbrella so when she got to the parking place, she'd have protection. She, looking for an umbrella, did not know that little Matthew, three years of age, went back in front of the van to get back in the car with Monty Bride to the the, uh, parking lot. She pulled the van off and ran over her three-year-old son and he died instantly. You say, preacher, why would... God permit that to happen. Folks, I wish, I wish your pastor could answer questions like that all the time. I wish my dear preacher friend back here could answer those questions for you all the time. I wish I was knowledgeable and wise enough to answer all the questions you have about why God does everything He does. But can I tell you something? I'm not wise enough because I'm a man. But can I tell you something? God God knows exactly what He's doing and He works all things together for good to them that love Him. Them that love Him. The scope of it, Tim. He said all things work together. Good, bad, indifferent. What you do understand, what you don't understand. Everything, Carl, works together for good to them love God. Now I'd be remiss if I didn't read verse 29. Look at verse 29. It says, For whom he he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. Now look up at me. God does what he does. Whether you understand it or not, he's working all things together for good to them that love God. Why? To conform you, to make you look just like Jesus. Now I'm not blowing smoke at none of you, I ain't there. I'm not there yet. But God ain't done yet. If He was done, Chris, I wouldn't even be here preaching. I'd be in glory. He does everything to conform us to the image of His precious Son. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God, the sons of God, and the world knows us not because it knew Him not. Behold, but listen, beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know... We know that when He shall appear, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. You know why God does everything in your life? He does it for your good and His glory. And He makes no mistakes. The scope of it is everything He's doing is make you look more like Jesus. I wish I could answer all the definite questions you got. But I'm here to tell you That the Lord says, if you'll come to me, I will give you rest. I will give you rest. You can close your Bibles, I'm done. Hypothetically speaking, what if I... And I know Tim will appreciate this. What if I bought 38 books from Tim and did not have any way of getting them back in my luggage... Now, I got a box, and Tyler, I put on that box my address, Miss Veronica Beaver, care of Brian Beaver, 17164, Highway 53 East, Kelly, North Carolina, 28448. And I'd put everything on there. I'd press the postage on it. I'd take it to the post and I'd tell him to put it in there. And do you know what? Halfway across the ocean, the plane exploded or something happened. That thing fell in the ocean. Four weeks later, they got all of it together. They put it on another boat. They took it over. Four weeks later, it gets back to my house. It's tattered. It's torn. It's rough. It's rugged. It's almost been torn to shreds. But it got to its destination. Say, preacher, what's your point? Folks, when you got saved, you were sealed. And God stamped saved on the package. He put the address as Glory Avenue, Heaven. And you may be tattered and you may get torn and you may go through some tough times, but I'm here to tell you that the package will always get to its destination. Always. You know, the town that I live in is a paper mill. They t- and it stinks to high heaven. You can't drive through there, but what you go, wow. You never get used to it. One guy told me, Pastor, he said, it smells a little bit like money to me. I said, well, I guess it does to you. You're a logger. What they do is they take these logs and they put them through a process they chip them up, put them in a big vat, they boil them, make a pulp out of it. You know what they do with that pulp? Here's a long, tall tree they take, cut down, put through all that process, cook it, cut it down, chop it up, put it in a vat, burn it, to make pulp out of it, to make paper that we use for paper bags in a grocery store or writing paper that we write on. Can I say something, folks? The Bible calls us living epistles, living letters. You know what? Sometimes a living letter may have to go through the process of being cut up, chopped up, boiled up, cooked down. But I'm I'm here to tell you that the package, Steve, will always get to its destination. One of these days, we'll know why the things that we wondered that were supposed to be all good, all things working together for me, when we didn't understand it, as the old songwriter said, we'll understand it better by and by. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy, tried and true, and with thanksgiving I'll be a living sanctuary for you. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Nobody looking around tonight. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. want to ask you a question tonight. You're in this building under the sound of my voice. And you could say with an upraised hand, not a shadow of a doubt in your mind, preacher, if I were to take my last breath this night, there's no doubt in my mind that I'd be in heaven because I've trusted Christ. I haven't trusted a church membership or my name on a roll. I've not trusted a baptism or a little prayer I prayed. I trusted Christ and I can raise my hand right now. Right now say, preacher, I know I'm going to heaven because I trusted Christ. Lord bless your heart. Once you put it up, you can put it down. Is there somebody here tonight that would say, Preacher, I want you to pray for me. I'm concerned about my spiritual condition. And I want you to pray that God would help me to understand my need of His Son, Jesus. And I'm not saved, but I want to be. And I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody like that would just lift it up and then put it back down? Say, Preacher, will you pray for me? I'm not sure I'm born again or saved. And I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody like that under the sound of my voice tonight? All right, one more question. As Miss Shelley begins to play, Whatever God lays on her heart, I want to ask you this question. You're in this room. You'd say, preacher, there's been times in my life when I haven't understood really that all things are working together for my good because I don't understand it all. Folks, you're not going to understand everything. You're not. You will one day, but you might not now. That doesn't mean God's not working. I wonder if you'd say, you know what, preacher, I want you to pray for me that God give me faith. Maybe even as a grain of a mustard seed, it said it could move remount, remove mountains into the sea. But I want to have great faith to believe that God said and meant what He said when He said all things work together for good. to them, love God. And preacher, will you pray that God would give me the strength to understand that it's time to let go and let Him have it. You say, preacher, God spoke to me. I want you to pray for me. Is there anybody like that? Once you put your hand up, you can put it down. You can put it down. God bless you. It's time to do business with God, folks. It's time to do business. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much for your promise. Now, Lord, not only the subject we know us as your people, the surety is that we can know that all things work together for good to them that love God. But Lord, the scope is good, bad, and different. Everything is working together for our good. And help us to realize, Lord, that you're too good to do us wrong and too wise to make a mistake. I love you tonight, but I know it's because you first love me. And I know your people love you, but Lord, you said if we love you, we got to do what you tell us to do. Father, give grace, give strength and boldness to the ones that raise their hand that need the power to get through some of these struggles and these valleys in their life and help them to realize, Lord, You're on the other side with open arms, ready to say, Well done, Thou good and faithful service. Enter into the joy of the Lord. I'll love and praise You for what You do in our midst tonight because I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.